Oh boy. Let's talk about Kevin Kelly's recent comments about New Japan Pro Wrestling. And before I get into my whole intro, let me just say as a disclaimer that this is not a bashing type of podcast towards Kevin Kelly. This is not a slander podcast towards Kevin Kelly. All I am going to do is provide counterpoints to some of the stuff that I don't agree with and some of the stuff that I can dig a little deeper into because every single comment that I have read, every single thing that is put on the internet basically feels like say it with your whole chest. It has that type of feel where I knew that he was frustrated before because sometimes that frustration will come out during commentary while he was with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And sometimes the frustration was justified and I didn't really think too much about it. There were times that he'll take jabs at certain wrestlers if they weren't that perfect wrestler that he might want. But to basically lay it all out and say it completely with his chest right? It has a different feeling to it. So we're going to get into some of the stuff that he said, some of the stuff that he tweeted. And it's nonsense, basically, for some of it. Other stuff is right. But this isn't a podcast about if he's right or wrong. This is just a podcast episode giving counterpoints to some of the things that he was saying. So by no means is this a personal attack. It's not going to be a personal attack. It's going to be counterpoints based on some of the some of the things that we know. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And today we're just discussing with counterpoints of Kevin Kelly's Thoughts on New Japan Pro Wrestling, where it stands. And again, this is just a counterpoint podcast episode. In no way, shape or form is this anything for personal attacks because I personally don't know him, but I can comment on professional wrestling. I can comment on the professional wrestling viewpoints and give counterpoints to it. And this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking and analyzing at some of the things that were said And if you enjoy this episode, please make sure to go tell a friend, share it with them. I am trying to get my Spotify numbers up, and that is definitely a tell. I really appreciate Spotify. I really do. Spotify gives me the ability to connect with people all around the world because not only do podcasts bring us together, but wonderful music also brings us together. And I am very happy and proud that I am listened to globally around the world. Without you, there won't be this podcast at all. And I thank you for that. So make sure to go tell a friend, share it. And then you could also follow the Square Circle Podcast on Spotify, which is amazing, 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 amazing. And I can't do it without each and every one of you guys. So again, make sure to go share it with a friend. If you want to have your voice heard, you can leave me a voice message. There is always a link for you to click on to leave a voice message. But if you do not want to leave a voice message, you can find me on social media at Marie underscore shadows over on Twitter or email me squared circle podcast at outlook.com and I'll go through the comments or anything like that. So without further ado, 
let's jump right into some of these comments. Not every comment will be verbatim, but you can definitely just go on Twitter, go to the search bar and look up like all the threads, all the conversations, and you guys will know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I have some written down and basically we're just going to go through them. Let's start with that. It was said wrestling prime is age 35. So once a wrestler reached 35 years old, that's basically prime, right? Which is true. You know, sometimes it doesn't click until 35 and we've had wrestlers who exceeded that and are still wrestling well into their 40s and 50s and a little bit slowing down when they get to 60. However, it does seem like, you know, this is a young man's sport. And while that is true, not every young wrestler manages to stay fully. And it seems like seven years is the cutoff point for some. And they go on their merry way to either take a vacation or they come back like, you know, seven years later and try again. But I don't think wrestling really has an age. The only reason why back in the day we put an age on it is because we didn't know how to take care of ourselves. And when I say we, I mean the wrestlers. The wrestlers didn't know how to take care of themselves like how we know today. And that's why we are currently seeing wrestlers still wrestling today, even though they are older. But I honestly do not think that we should put an age on wrestling per se, because depending on how you take care of your body, depending on if you had major injuries or not major major injuries, you can still go if you can. Now, there is a thing where like, you know, Tanahashi is getting up there in age and he could barely move the same way that he used to. And with Naito and everyone else as well, because their bodies are so damaged. And Kevin makes it a point that, like, you know, we shouldn't have to rely on the older guys and that bringing in other Japanese wrestlers wouldn't help New Japan Pro Wrestling now and definitely make it seem like, you know, no old guys should be there at all. It should be all the younger guys and promote from within. And I totally get all that. I really, really do. However, with the way that it's worded, whether that is someone that just like paraphrased it or transcribe it really makes it seem as if it's a dire situation, as if like New Japan is going to fall behind. First of all, New Japan celebrates 70 years in the professional wrestling business. They are ahead of everyone else. The only reason that it's not celebrated or talked about more is because American fans know about American wrestling. American fans know about the monopolization, if I could create that word, about American wrestling, such as the big, gigantic company of WWE. Oh, generally speaking, most fans know about WWE. It's only until in recent memory that people have been opening up their minds to see what kind of other wrestling is out there, meaning New Japan Pro Wrestling and getting back into TNA and getting back into MLW and then, you know, watching AEW and stuff like that. But for the most part, most 
if not all, wrestling fans think that WWE is the be-all, end-all. And to sort of have this urgency that New Japan needs to change at a drop of a dime is really doing everyone a disservice because while, yes, there are spots that are wide open because Osprey's leaving on February 11th, Okada is leaving, Tamatanga is leaving, and, you know, Jay White already left and other people already left. And that's OK. You know, you got to think about it as if, like, it's a nine to five job where your best friend who's your coworker wants to go and do better things. And you can't be emotionally over overly sensitive to these things because it happens in professional wrestling. It's a business. That's why sometimes I get upset at fans that don't understand this. And some fans are just like me, 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 me. And everybody wants to play the victim and nobody wants to look at the bigger picture. And it's very good for wrestlers to go from a different company to a different company. It's like years ago where, you know, Hulk Hogan went over to WCW. Macho Man went over to WCW. Those biggest names in the business went over to another place to not only get money, but to also do different things. If Hogan never went to WCW, we would never have Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And then like the NWO would have still been born, but it wouldn't have the big effect and inspiration as it does now, because guess what? Bullet Club is an incarnation of NWO. So without those things falling into place, we wouldn't be having any of this stuff. So for wrestlers to move from one company to another is totally okay. And it's okay to feel a certain type of way because your favorite is not going to be on the promotion that you want to watch it, but you go follow their journey. You go follow what they're going to be doing. Speaking of Okada, because Okada is leaving, that means that New Japan Pro Wrestling has to position all of their guys now into the correct places and elevate the correct places to sort of have that urgency as if like New Japan is falling behind is doing everyone a disservice in the fact of if you decide to put someone in the wrong place, you're going to set them up for failure and then it's not going to be as great or fun trying to recover that so if you're pushing the younger guys such as the guys that just came back from excursion so you have the big top four even though new japan was like oh these are the three musketeers and they thought that you know that would have went over well nah it really hasn't they haven't really come into their own to be like the three musketeers which is basically like an ode to the original three musketeers of new japan pro wrestling which i think it was like tanahashi naito and okada basically i might be wrong but you know you get the idea that like they wanted to position these guys to be sort of like their originals so with that being said now we need a new big baby face a larger-than-life character. Because in professional wrestling, you have to have larger-than-life characters. You can't just go to be a professional wrestler and you want to use your real name and try to be a real fighter. If that was the case, then, you know, go to UFC, go to boxing, where they don't have that implemented. Which brings me to another comment that goes, be a fighter, 
not so much of a gimmick, don't have so much flashy moves. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what you need sometimes in wrestling. And, you know, I get it that sometimes it is annoying when a wrestler doesn't move and hits his pose like you wouldn't do that in a real fight. But if we're going to really talk about professional wrestling in a way that I don't like talking about it because I like to keep everything kayfabe because we're losing the art of professional wrestling by not doing that. Every time someone says that, oh, it's fake fighting, it's simulated fighting. Well, let that person hit a move and hit their pose. You will see a lot more fans in the stands and in the seats hit the pose with them after they do a move because that fan is going to be like, oh, my God, that looks so cool. My favorite wrestler is doing my favorite pose that I like to do with them, and I get to do it in sequence with them when they're at a live event. And that's what you want, right? You want the fans to go there, pay their money, be swept away for two hours, three hours, and not think about any type of problems they might have. And the wrestler doing a move, hitting their pose might make their day. If you take away what makes professional wrestling completely different from any other sport in this world that we created, then it's no longer professional wrestling. Now, here is the beauty of professional wrestling. Professional wrestling combines everything that you would ever want that gives you sports-centric and entertainment all in one go. And that is thanks to Vince McMahon. Whether or not you agree with everything or disagree, but thanks to him, we have this beautiful storytelling ability, the beautiful art behind professional wrestling, which is basically sports entertainment. You get your sports from all the wrestlers who defy gravity and defy death and stuff like that. And the entertainment takes you into a whole new different reality for a couple hours to get away from whatever the hell is bothering you and you get to laugh enjoy yourself and feel good about it you know and so the beauty about it is that we can have those fighters in professional wrestling of course, to me, you'll have to add a little bit of character to those real fighters. So, for example, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, you have Hinare, who is a warrior that is bringing his culture into professional wrestling. And he is a fighter. He's a straight up fighter. He has no gimmicks. But to be honest, if you want to be like larger than life and this mythical kind of Person, you have to add a little bit of character onto you just so that way nobody can feel like they have full access to who you are and then like weird shit fucking happens. So, you know, as Hinari is playing himself and bringing his culture into professional wrestling, it does wonders for him because that is the type of story he wants to go with and he definitely wants to bring you along for the ride and show you that there are other cultures out there other than what you may know already and get a different taste and a vibe for what he could bring to the table and he's a fucking badass that will kick your ass the same thing with Gabriel Kidd and him being this 
unhinged wrestler that will throw furniture, that will get really upset, that will basically try to fucking kill you and doesn't have any morals to what he does. But he still wrestles when he gets you into the ring, even though you see him throwing tables and chairs and trying, you know, to kill his opponent, even though it could hurt a fan. But those two guys are what Kevin Kelly is talking about to have that kind of fight feel. And there is probably others, but to try and take away the flashiness of almost all the foreigners that come into New Japan Pro Wrestling is going to not be as effective as you think it might be. Like, this isn't back in the 80s or back in the late 70s where wrestlers were basically fighters. They really didn't do anything flashy. And if they did do something flashy, it will be like a drop kick, a cartwheel. It wouldn't be like over the top until we got to like the 80s where it was more like expressing your personality and stuff like that. For the most part, if you grew up on old school wrestling, it was just fighting, kicking ass, taking names, going home, getting a paycheck. And that's about it. It wasn't necessarily about the flash and the glam. So professional wrestling provides very different aesthetics for different types of people and different types of stories and that is what makes professional wrestling the greatest thing that we ever created because we would then just be another boxing or UFC where fights happen once every three months or once every six months you know wrestling is a traveling circus and if you don't understand what wrestling is by now then I think it's time to look for something else that might be of interest because to basically say that you want wrestlers to be a fighter not so much a gimmick and then to talk about nicknames and you know what a wrestler should and shouldn't do as part of their gimmick and as part of their character is sort of like you lost touch with what wrestling can be for example, there was a whole big discussion thread about nicknames and about Suji and his smile. First of all, Suji needs to smile. It is not forced. That motherfucker does not force his smile. His smile is the most amazing thing that he has about him other than Suji's wonderful wrestling ability. Suji is able to command the crowd on a level where not many people from Excursion can do. So, for example, when Suji fought Sonata, do you know how many people were on the edge of their seats, including me, thinking that Suji had a chance, a like a 1% chance of actually defeating Sonata and becoming probably, well, no, not the youngest because he's like 30, right? But becoming the champion at the time and defeating Sonata. Sonata plays it safe whenever he does his wrestling matches, by the way, because I watched Sonata matches and I could definitely break it down and tell you that Sonata is a very comfortable wrestler. He doesn't really go outside his comfort zone. However, when he fought Suji, he had to go outside his comfort zone because he's like, I've never fought anybody like this. Suji took him to the limit and Sonata survived. And I really do think that kind of hurts Sonata because Sonata wasn't ready for this and he wasn't prepared for Suji. But then again, nobody was prepared for Suji. But to bring it back to Suji's smile, 
you don't know what kind of sushi you're going to get. So you can lean into that smile. And when he smiles at you, you don't know if he's going to kick your ass or give you a hug. And that makes a dangerous wrestler like Suji. Now we could definitely talk about the nickname that Suji has, which is called Gene Blast. That I'll give it to Kevin Kelly about like, what is that nickname? Like, I don't even know what that nickname is supposed to represent. And I don't really care about it. However, if we really want to deep dive into Gene Blast, I think it just goes along with his explosiveness in the ring. Suji does amazing things in the ring and is sort of like, bro, how did you get this good? He really outdid himself in Mexico. And what I don't like is that Osprey was giving him shit about the things he heard about Suji when he was over in the UK. The UK training is not for everybody, but Suji flourished in Mexico. And when he came back, man, he was a top star. My only problem is that Suji was on such a high ride, a really high momentum that he really came crashing down. And now he has to sort of like rebuild in a way because these feuds are not hitting. But I understand why the no longer young lions have to come back and like fight their brethren that was with them in the same class. I get it. I understand. You want to create new rival and new stories and stuff however let's talk about the lij situation of that when suji came back it felt like they were priming him to be the next leader of lij in a way like to lead them into the next years so to speak because after this year i bet you naito is retiring but I don't know where they're going with that, but that's something to be looked at in this upcoming year only because of like the spots that need to be filled by, you know, these wrestlers and stuff like that and be promoted from within. So with that being said, while it might be window dressing that people are like, yo, Suji smiles the best thing. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Why would you think otherwise? I guess it's just something that just looks off but it's not really off if you're not used to somebody smiling as much then i guess that could be another viewpoint but suji's smile is what makes suji that smile man you don't know when that smile is gonna appear not appear and then you know you better run for the hills just because of that smile because you don't know what kind of suji you're gonna get and suji is a very unpredictable wrestler a very unpredictable person that has a lot of thoughts when he's doing backstage interviews so it all just fits there's a mysteriousness about suji when he smiles you know um i don't think if it's not broken don't fix it what happens if suji never smiled then what what are we going to do his best feature is basically his smile. Every time he smiles, it makes me happy because that is the best looking smile I've ever seen. And you know that it might be all warm and fuzzy if you ask for a hug from Suji. But if you disrespect Suji and he smiles, just, you know, run for the hills. While we're on the topic of nicknames, Yuya Yuromura has heat storm. And I think that would happen during TNA when he was with Joe Henry and they basically gave him that nickname. Uh, he is very 
explosive as well you know uh he has a wonderful arm drag which by the way arm drags can tell a damn good story in professional wrestling just look up any kind of ricky the dragon steamboat matches and perfection arm drags they tell a story and then also uh headlock takeovers tell a story if you watch some ricky the dragon steamboat matches which i would love to talk about one day anyway Renarita has a weird nickname, but he joined House of Torture and is sold out, a play on words for sold out. And I'm just like, why? But I'll just leave it as is uh, because it's House of Torture. And we will be talking about House of Torture because there is just some thoughts I have about it. And, you know, there's other um, nicknames, too, that we could go through. But nicknames are there to sort of help the character along, help the wrestler along and help fans to remember the wrestler if they cannot remember their name or just something. And you have a nickname and you're like, oh, that wrestler. And you basically say the nickname. How many times have we called a wrestler by their nickname and not by their actual wrestling name? And it's just okay. But I do understand that nicknames are supposed to go with the wrestler, the motivation, the story, the character. I understand that. But we also have to remember that Japan is also the same country that like if you translate something, it's going to sound weird in English. The same way that like if you were to ask a Puerto Rican or a Dominican to tell you a joke or to explain a joke to you that you heard in Spanish, they're going to be like, oh, well, it's not that funny if I translate it to English because it sort of misses the mark. You know, it's similar to Japanese that like if people find something funny in Japanese, it's funny because of the language that they are familiar with. And then if they tell you the English side to it, it sort of loses that punch. And I think that sometimes this is what happens when it comes to nicknames. Like the only ones that make sense are like the ace rainmaker, you know, stuff like that. I don't know about like blue justice and whatnot, but you know, for the most part, like, these nicknames are basically Japanese anime kind of base. So, you know, we really can't get upset at the nicknames. Switching from nicknames to Master Wado, there will be no Master Wado slander at all. Master Wado has come into his own, even though there's still a lot more time for him to tweak his character. And yes, New Japan Pro Wrestling gave him the gimmick, the character of Master Wado, which translates to Master Water. And Master Wado is only 26 years old. So he has a lot of time to develop and lean into the Master Wado gimmick. And I remember always on commentary, Kevin Kelly would be very frustrated with him. And there was a time where Master Wado was learning from Blue Justice, Nagata, and was learning from Tanahashi and learning from Makabe and learning from the older wrestlers. And you can see it in his wrestling ability that it was starting to affect them only because of all the doubt and different types of philosophies that he's getting taught. And so Master Wado couldn't develop who Master Wado is. And the moment that he broke away from that mentorship, he definitely came into his own when Desperado was like, why am I wasting my time with you? 
give or take how you took it at that time. Masawada was put in a position to be in a fatal four-way match that had Masawado versus El Desperado versus Hiromu versus Taiji Ishimori. At this time, Taiji Ishimori was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And they created this fatal four-way. They gave Masawado a big platform because you would never really see someone like Masawado to be in a fatal four-way for that. But New Japan, on the other hand, definitely had some faith in Masawado. And that is when Masawado started to get his confidence. We all know that Masawado is very talented. He has it. it. He just takes a little bit more time to understand certain things and get certain things but when he goes he goes man and he does fantastic in the ring but he is at a point now where he is very good he just has to keep going forward unfortunately as of this recording i found out that master wado has a torn acl so he is going to need surgery and he's going to be out for a little bit however it still stands that Master Wado is definitely a contender and definitely can hold down the junior division and can definitely create some really good stories. He just has to believe in himself more. But what I'm really not going to stand for is calling him a dork, even if it was meant to be playful or not playful. Like Master Wado is adorable in his own way. He looks like he's a shy kid that you know takes a little time to warm up to people but he probably has the biggest sweetest heart and to also say that you wouldn't watch your neighbor fight in comparison to master wado and stuff is kind of wrong and i'm paraphrasing what was said but it's still like why would you even talk about master wado that way like you know Master Wado goes at his own pace. Master Wado learns on his own and he basically takes what he learns and applies it. And we saw that during Best of the Super Juniors. Every time that he got knocked down and fought again, it was just a little bit better. And again, he's 26 years old. He got time. Now, if he was like a little bit older, I could probably understand. But, you know, no Master Wado slander at all. Master Wado got it. What he can do to improve his character is to take the Bruce Lee approach and apply the Bruce Lee lessons and the quotes and be like water, flow like water, you know, learn different styles, mesh them all together and become a very master of water, basically, and throw off all of your opponents each opponent will have a different type of match, so to speak, because he's not going to have the same moves in every match. Like, he really shouldn't if he's going to be Master Wado. If he's fighting someone like a rival, then switch it up. But for the most part, he should take the Bruce Lee approach and use the quotes and use the teachings of Bruce Lee in order to become Master Wado. And the very last thing that I want to say about the Master Wado topic is Kevin said that there is no money in Master Wado. Well, I beg to differ. If anyone has ever watched Hikaleo's vlogs, at least the previews, because I would love to be part of Hikaleo's Patreon to watch the vlogs. But as per Hikaleo's previews, 
whenever Mr. Waddle is in the camera shot, whenever Master Waddle is hanging out with Hikaleo, Hikaleo does tell Master Waddle that his fan base really get excited and they get happy when they see Master Waddle and that Master Waddle is famous with Hikaleo's fan base. So there is money in Master Wado. There is something that Master Wado can connect with the fans with. And that's his own adorable way of doing something that's bigger than him. When you know he's probably a shy kid. Because he gets super smiley and happy whenever Hikaleo is like, yeah, my fans love seeing you there. And they always ask about you. And if fans are always asking about a particular wrestler, they're over. They made it. They want to know if he's good, you know, what he's up to. Can we see him as a cameo on your vlog? Like, that's a very good thing. That's a very good interaction to have and to want someone on someone else's vlog and they can see what they do because they're very interested in Master Wado. So I do say that Master Wado, there is money in him. There's just a way that you have to market him in order for him to be successful. And I have ideas that can definitely work for Master Wado, but he has to obviously implement it and like go forward. Let's go over some of these interview comments. The one I want to go over is the big names may look at this and consider leaving as well. Who's leaving? Who else is leaving? Tanahashi got bumped up to be president, which is awesome. Okada wants to go and explore different avenues because he's hungry again. And he just doesn't want to stay in New Japan because it's not going to go anywhere. He did everything he needed to do in Japan. So I really don't know who is leaving. Sonata is probably not leaving. Naito is not going to leave. He's going to retire. Shingo could if he wanted to, but I don't really see that happening. You know, I don't know who are these big names that would look at this and consider leaving. If that was the case, they would have left a long time ago because Nakamura is a success story over there. Asuka, Io, Kairi are success stories over there. Finn Balor is a success story. And like AJ Styles is a success story over there. You know, uh, Taka Michinoku, he's also a success story too. He's a legend. He came back over to New Japan and stuff. So I don't know who these big names are would consider looking at this and leaving. You know, sometimes people will leave for better money because we need money to survive. But if most of the Japanese wrestlers are content, they're going to stay in Japan and they're going to work Japan because they're not used to leaving outside the nest and exploring other options. So you have to take this and look at it as like what their personality is like, because us Americans, we are rowdy. So I don't know if some of them will mesh with us or not. The other thing too, is that the Japanese yen is very weak and is likely a big reason Okada is leaving. I highly doubt that. Okada was just like, I'm done. There's nothing new for me here. Money isn't really an issue when it comes to Japan and Japanese people and their culture. Japanese people know how to survive with the money that they are given on a monthly basis. And by the way, Japan just had an earthquake and like a tsunami and they are having relief 
funds being transported to these places to help rebuild. So, you know, that could be a reason why the Japanese yen is very low. And Okada is leaving because he wants to find new opportunities. And then also, you know, Kevin also did say in a tweet that he gets paid more by AEW three times more than what he got paid in New Japan. Well, yeah, because exchange rate and basically America has the money and you're back on American soil. And of course, it's going to be a lot more money than what Japan can give you at this very time. Japan is still recovering from COVID. Most of us have probably already not fully recovered, but like getting there. But Japan definitely did a huge lockdown and they're recovering from what happened. The next quote is, doesn't think there are any Japanese wrestlers New Japan Pro Wrestling can bring in to make a difference, even Nakajima, promote from within. I do agree that they have to promote from within, but again, because Tanahashi is president, I don't think he is going to look outward to get other Japanese wrestlers from other places to fill the now vacant spots that New Japan Pro Wrestling has to fill. The next couple of quotes are going to be read one right after the other because this is a lot to sort of talk about. Says the last guy, meaning Obari, you can say his name, says the last guy in quotes, which is Obari, was the reason there were four G1 blocks, including one with just young guys. G1, in quotes, doesn't need a catchphrase like born in the ring. G1 should cut down, remove Kenta, in quotes. He doesn't have it anymore. Goto Yoshihashi. Hiromu, oh, well, we'll, we'll wait for the next one. Uh, so let's talk about the G1 in a little bit. I will say that this past G1 with the four G1 blocks was exhausting. And all I cared about was C block. However, you can't really get on Obari for making four G1 blocks when this guy was like, you know, we should showcase the younger guys. The younger guys don't always get to go into the G1. The younger guys don't get to go into the New Japan Cup because for the past couple of years, we've been seeing a lot of older Japanese wrestlers take the spots of the younger wrestlers. And when we you know, talk about it on social media, it doesn't seem like anything gets done. So this is a plus for Obari to bring in the younger guys to showcase the matches. And now I understand that while you're on this tour, it makes the tour a little bit longer. It makes the matches a little bit longer. You're exhausted by the end. You're on commentary. You have to keep up with the stories and catch people up. I totally get it. It's a huge ass work because there were four blocks but the other side to it is that we got to see some of the young guys that never get to be there. But I still believe that the G1 should be the very best of the best of the best to fight in the G1 in order to go forward in their story. And the young guys should be training their asses off, fighting their asses off, telling their stories to the best of their ability in order to get a spot in the G1. Now, for this year's G1, do we need four blocks? No. Are we going to get four blocks? Probably not. But I also want to address, too, that this whole thing of the G1 not needing a catchphrase. 
Do you know how hype I get whenever I hear the theme song of the G1 or the theme song of the New Japan Cup? Because I'm like, oh, my God, this is like the biggest tournament ever. And New Japan Pro Wrestling treats their tournaments as the biggest thing in wrestling, the same way that the Royal Rumble this Saturday, January 27th, is a very big deal. And that makes me feel like I'm watching an epic sport a spectacular sport because there is a theme song because there is something to look forward to a catchphrase to look forward to to remember what this one is the same thing with wrestlemania wrestlemania has all these numbers attached to it but the memories remain because you remember the music you remember the moment you remember the catchphrases and it's okay because professional wrestling is supposed to take you away from your fucking problems if the G1 had no catchphrases and had no music, no theme songs to it, it would just be very boring and people are not really going to tune into it as much. The hardcore New Japan fans like myself and others in the same space are probably going to tune in because we cover New Japan Pro Wrestling. We give our thoughts on New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, you know, we do it because we love it. It's a job. It's a hobby. It's whatever it is. But to have that catchphrase, to have that theme song just makes it a little bit more worthwhile because you're going to have a good time. Now, let's talk about that the G1 should be cut down. I agree that Goto and Yoshihashi should not be in the G1. They are tag team experts until they say officially that they don't want to be a tag team anymore. Then you can put them in the G1. But to remove Kenta, Kenta is the wild card of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You don't know what you're going to get with Kenta. But to say that he doesn't have it anymore, no one has approached him with a very good story in a long time. He forced Tanahashi to have a hardcore match with him. And Tanahashi didn't want to do it. And when Kenta was climbing the ladder, Red Shoes did not want to hold the ladder to make sure that Kenta is safe. So as Kenta drops from the ladder and misses and ends up hurting himself pretty badly you know he's in pretty bad shape or at least like not fully there but to just say that he doesn't have it anymore is very untrue I do think that after the hardcore match that messed him up but again if nobody goes up to Kenta and be like hey what do you think about you know this idea that I have do you want to do it you know, then we'll see the real Kenta come back. And the real Kenta does show up when it is needed. He's not always going to be the serious Kenta walking around. Lately, he's been a lot more jokey-jokey comedian type, especially when he was doing that whole romantic love story with Yoshihashi's staff. And I thought that was hilarious. And this guy is a romantic. And that showed a different side of Kenta, you can't always have like a serious wrestler be a serious person because then it's going to get stale and no one's really going to care about it. There has to be different types of personalities that come out while your serious side is waiting to be unleashed. And that is Kenta. If you don't understand Kenta by now, then it's like, you know, do you understand wrestling in general? And that's just like a general statement for like everybody to hear me say. But to say that Kenta doesn't have it anymore is false. The next one is Hiromu should be moved up into heavyweight. Don't listen to the dinosaurs saying otherwise. Same with El Desperado. Hiromu should win the New Japan Cup. Why not? 
And by the way, these are Kevin Kelly's comments about it. Someone wrote it up, so it's not coming from me. I love Hiromu. I love El Desperado. I love the New Japan Cup. El Desperado and Hiromu and Taiji Ishimori are like the epitome and definition of what it means to be best of the Super Juniors and a Super Junior in New Japan Pro Wrestling. They are the guys that New Japan relies on. Currently, right now, if they move up to heavyweight, it might be an awesome thing, but their junior division is going to suffer. So right now, trying to move them might be kind of weird, but I do want Hiromu in heavyweight. I do want El Desperado in heavyweight division. They're going to have to bulk up. But the thing about Japanese culture is that these guys are not going to do some American moves where in America, if you don't like your position, you're going to trample over the other guy and get to that position and be like, now I'm the top dog. Now I'm in the division that I want. In Japan, their culture is completely different when it comes to manners and mannerisms and how to move up. Even though Hiromu has been frustrated in his position for a, a while and he has all the right to be frustrated because what else can he do in the junior division? Maybe Tanahashi is going to move him up in the year 2024. But as of right now, I don't see him moving up. I don't see El Desperado moving up just because now they have to maneuver all the younger guys that came in and maneuver all of all, all of the American guys that came in into the spots that need to be filled. And it has to be like you're playing chess in a way. It has to fit right. It has to flow right. You have to know what stories are going to be coming out of all of this. And especially even after February 11th, where Osprey is going to AEW, what's going to happen with United Empire, what's going to happen with bullet club and all this kind of stuff so you just have to maneuver all of these guys into the right position the moment you put them into the wrong position they might end up failing and it might end up looking bad uh some more comments are that the g1 needs big aw stars not just names who is a big aw star most of the aw stars are former wwe superstars AEW has yet to really create their own AEW star stars, their own AEW superstars. We can argue and debate that MJF is a AEW megastar or superstar. We can argue and debate. That's about it. There's not really much. So I don't know who would be in the G1, you know, um, and why it should be the G1 should be for New Japan guys. Like if some of the AEW stars had the ability to go on a tour with New Japan for six months, maybe they can make it into the G1. But if that AEW wrestler stays for a whole year with New Japan Pro Wrestling, then put them in the G1. But to just be like, hey, AEW, we need some quote unquote stars to put into the G1. Nah. All right, let me end this with talking about House of Torture because from the comments, House of Torture is bad stuff that gets booze, but not the good booze. And then on Twitter, somebody asks Kevin, do you think Bullet Club should be disbanded or put an end to the many subgroups? 
Kevin replied, and by the way, again, you can read all this on Twitter. Kevin replied with, no, I like the subgroup concept different. So let me add my perspective on both of these. In the beginning, I did not like House of Torture because House of Torture kept cheating and cheating and cheating. And it was annoying because it was like, well, when is the babyface going to get their comeback? When is the babyface going to have some friends that go out there? And they still do the same formula. They really, really do. But it wasn't until I talked with people behind the scenes to get a better understanding of House of Torture and how they operate. And because Dick Togo was part of ECW, as well as Jado and Gato, they understood the American way of wrestling at the time, even though ECW was hardcore matches and they had, you know, cruiserweights and they had regular wrestling matches. But when you think of ECW, you think of hardcore and so all three of them, Dick Togo, Jado, and Gato, learned from the best. They learned from Paul Heyman. And they took what they learned and they went back to New Japan Pro Wrestling and they started to implement the way that things happen, the way that people cheat in matches. And now I will say that most of the time, like 9 out of 10, House of Torture matches are way overproduced and you might have that one match where you might feel different about because it might change your mood and you might go along with the roller coaster of emotions and forget about really trying to analyze the match. Most of the time, it does get kind of annoying to watch the same thing happen over and over. But for the most part, the House of Torture is bad. Stop that. Gets booze, but not the good ones. I don't know how true that would be only because the booze that the Japanese fans give House of Torture are the ones where like they don't want to see them. They know that they're heels and they want the babyface underdog to win. And when the babyface underdog wins and it gets some advantage, the crowd changes up and the crowd cheers for that babyface. And if the babyface wins over like Show or Evil or any one of the other House of Torture members, the fans celebrate. So in Japanese culture, how they understand wrestling is basically black and white. There is no gray area. It's not like here in America where we have that gray area and people are like they they want to know everything behind the scenes and they want everything deconstructed and then they'll you know go after you and think that they know when they don't know and they don't work in the business over in japan they keep everything respectful and separated and that's why kayfabe is so very important over in japan and that's why i love watching new japan pro wrestling because of that kayfabe so in certain areas of japan so if New Japan Pro Wrestling goes out more into like the suburb area, the farmland area. Those fans are going to treat House of Torture like the heels that they are from back in the day of old school wrestling. So like late 70s, 80s, like if you were a true heel, you know, you'll feel it. So they do get the good kind of booze where the wrestling fans understand that they are a heel. And then if you go to like Tokyo, 
and Kyoto and those places in Japan, the fan base is different. The fan base will still boo House of Torture because they know their heels, but they might end up being tired of the antics and just automatically want the baby face to win. And then when the baby face wins, they get that cheer. You know, it feels right. When you go to Kirk and Hall, you are a rock star. When you go to Kirk and Hall, when House of Torture shows up at Kirk and Hall, they let them know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. But Kirk and Hall is never indifferent. Kirk and Hall is either yay or nay. But, you know, I'm going to really defend House of Torture here because they have won me over now that I know the little behind the scenes. And I'm giving you guys that knowledge of behind the scenes of what happens when they go to different areas and the background that Dick Togo has and who he learned from. So I'm giving you guys behind the scenes of like House of Torture. Now, I really do think that eventually House of Torture should be cut from Bullet Club because I don't like the subgroups, which, by the way, brings me to that question that I had said on here. So, the again, the fan had asked, Kevin, do you think Bullet Club should be disbanded or put an end to the many subgroups? And Kevin said, no, I like the subgroup uh, concept. Uh, it's different. I had quote tweeted it and said, but you curse up a storm. I'm paraphrasing what I said, but essentially it's the he cursed up a storm whenever House of Torture is on. He's always screaming like son of a bitch, this son of a bitch, that to House of Torture. And it really like he doesn't like House of Torture to get a reply that went, but it takes the stink off the other. And I'm like, sir, I don't know what this is entirely supposed to mean it felt like a deflection because on commentary you're supposed to tell these stories you're supposed to put the wrestler over and people that are listening to commentators know that commentators are doing a job they're not necessarily trying to put themselves in it because as a commentator, I think that the storytelling aspect is what's supposed to get over. Personal feelings have to be put aside no matter what you think of the wrestlers and what's happening. You're calling the action as you see it. You know House of Torture is going to be cheating. So you play it up. You play it up instead of like really trying to be like, oh, you know, Fans on Twitter are going to cancel their New Japan subscription if House of Torture keeps winning. Like that was an actual thing that was somewhat said on uh, New Japan World. And people do tweet out that House of Torture sucks, House of Torture this, House of Torture that. You know, I might end up canceling, not me, but people online will say that they'll cancel their subscription to New Japan because of House of Torture. And nobody really wants to understand what House of Torture does. While House of Torture is very, very annoying and they can get annoying, they do things in a way where it gets that reaction from you. And we know in the wrestling business that if it gets that reaction from you, they are doing their job. So I just don't think that there was a distinction made on commentary where like Kevin was playing the role of a commentator to bring the stories to life, to bring the anguish and the anger and the frustration to life rather than like, you know, um, 
bringing real frustration and real jabs and real quips and stuff like that. Like it was just kind of weird towards the ending of the New Japan commentary career of just like weird jabs, weird frustrations. And, you know, I get it. Everybody has frustrations. Again, this is not a personal attack. This is just my observation from everything. And yeah, and I know that there were frustrations. But now, like I said at the beginning of this, it just feels like I'm going to say this all in my whole chest without really rethinking and looking at it from different angles and different perspectives of like, all right, this is, you know, Japan and Japanese culture. And we can't always try to fill it with the ideologies of what we know over here in America to Japanese culture. Like that's very disrespectful for that, you know, but I might be getting off topic here. It's just that, I think that certain things that were said on commentary sort of hurt certain wrestlers stock. Like, for example, I do remember the time where El Phantasma was still in Bullet Club and he was tag teaming with Ishimori and El Phantasma took a very comedic approach to his wrestling, even though he really is a good wrestler. And through the commentary and always tearing him down and I get it he's part of bullet club that makes him a heel and that makes him do very childish things and you want the best for him and that frustration would come out through commentary about like man he's so good but he taints it with doing you know the back rake and, and stuff like that you know by doing the back rake and doing these very 80s heelish things really got on you know, Kevin Kelly and it came through through his commentary. And I think that also brought down El Fantasmo's stock in a way because it's supposed to, you know, there's a way on commentary to elevate a heel and uh, accentuate what the heel is doing and why the heel is doing it. And, you know, I see that now looking back and looking at the bigger picture and because I do commentary from time to time, and I really do hope that if people out there are listening to this, that this doesn't hinder my commentary opportunities. But to put things into perspective of like, if you're playing the heel and you are doing back rakes and you are doing babyish, kiddyish things, and, you know, there's a reason for that. Um, because obviously we can go with that, Alfred Tasbo never respected anybody else other than himself and Ishimori and Bullet Club. So why should he give the other wrestlers any type of respect or his best when he could just do the back rakes, when he could just do like the other childish things that we would consider childish, but you know, it's the cowardly heel type of thing. You know, you could go off with that motivation because wrestlers have to have a motivation. Sometimes their movesets will tell you their motivation, will tell you how they're feeling. But when El Fantasmo needed to perform, this guy came to perform. This guy also built a whole entire story surrounding his super kick called The Sudden Death. And that was a very fun story to review on my show and the way that it all played out. But again, I think that certain times on commentary, you need to separate yourself, like your personal self, your personal feelings away from what you see in the ring. 
because then it hurts the wrestler after the fact. House of Torture is definitely not getting hurt by this because I don't even think House of Torture goes back and listens to what people say about House of Torture. House of Torture is a group that ends up getting a reaction. And that's what wrestlers strive for. That's what this business is all about. You have to get a reaction. If you don't get a reaction, then like you got to start from the bottom up. You have to reinvent yourself, you know. So, yeah, I am here defending House of Torture from a worker's point of view and someone that's on the inside looking out. Most wrestling fans are going to take what House of Torture does as annoyance and on the surface level when you should be looking a little bit deeper, especially if someone gives you the knowledge to look a little bit deeper. Again, I just want to say that this podcast is not about any personal attacks. This is all about observation and how to look at things from a different perspective and dive a little bit deeper into some of these comments New Japan Pro Wrestling right now is in the same boat that WWE was once when all of their top guys left and WWE was like, all right, what the fuck we're going to do? And they put the company on one man's back and that was Cena for a bit, you know, when everybody left. This happens in every type of profession. The top guys always leave for whatever reason, which is theirs, and the company can either suffer or the company could be prosperous with Tanahashi being the president of New Japan Pro Wrestling New Japan is going to be the most prosperous company it's ever been because Tanahashi has that lawyer background Tanahashi is still a wrestler Tanahashi will be the great guy for the media stuff and talking to the fans and he just He's the all-around lovable guy, and it made sense to put him in that position. Okada wants to go be the great Okada in American wrestling. Osprey wants to be the great Osprey in the path that he has chosen. And most of the time, it's like some guys just want more than the place that they stood at forever. And they realize that it's time to go take that risk. It's time to go become a better person. It's time to go tell better stories and just be amazing. You know, as for these comments, it's kind of not really weird timing, but it's just one of those things of like, man, you probably held on to most of this stuff for a while. And because, you know, you're not going to work with New Japan again, you just want to say it. But again, this is basically all of my counterpoints to the things that we talked about today. By no means, and I'm going to keep saying this, that this is a personal attack. It is not. It is an observation. It is counterpoints to everything. Like Twitter was having a field day with some of these comments and giving their opinions and perspectives. And I'm chiming in because I love wrestling. I love New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we see New Japan Pro Wrestling as like two different ways of how it can become great. I don't think that the changes need to be made overnight, but certain things need to be put in place in order for changes to give New Japan Pro Wrestling a prosperous year. I don't think that the yen being down is going to significantly hurt New Japan Pro Wrestling. They are doing wonderful. They are having an active roster. The fans are really excited and it's 2024. It's going to be a great year for New Japan Pro Wrestling and 
we're going to see a lot of good wrestlers rise to the occasion, take that brass ring, if you want to call it that, and we're going to see some really great things happening. We might end up seeing some stuff being added, some stuff being taken away, some stuff being tweaked, because the one thing that New Japan Pro Wrestling is and has always been is that they've always adjusted in every single period of their life right if we were to put them on the timeline new japan pro wrestling has been around for 70 plus years this is not going to affect them at all this is only going to make them better make them stronger and i'm here for the ride of new japan pro wrestling being the best that it has ever been ever the most prosperous, having the best roster and building from within. And Tanahashi is the kind of guy that looks like and seems like he wants to build from within. You know, he knows about character. He knows about all of that kind of stuff. I think that he is going to be building from within and it's going to be sweet. And we're all going to go along for the ride. And I'm going to be here every step of the way to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, review New Japan Pro Wrestling and interview more guys from new japan pro wrestling so that's going to be it for me those are all of my thoughts again the last disclaimer that i will say is that this is all observation this is all counterpoints there is nothing personal about this podcast episode i just wanted to give my two cents on these comments because new japan is doing great new japan is going to succeed this does not hurt New Japan significantly. This is only an obstacle that New Japan Pro Wrestling can get over. And if they've been around for 70 plus years, like they're going to be around for much longer. They're like the WWE of Japan. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode of my counterpoints to Kevin Kelly's thoughts, ideas about New Japan currently and again, like I said, this is nothing personal. This is just an observation and counterpoints. That's all it is. Do not take this as me being angry or frustrated, but just giving you guys some more context, some more ideas, some more perspectives. The whole point of the Square Circle podcast is to give a different perspective on certain issues that come across my feed or anywhere else I get my wrestling news if I'm just scrolling through Twitter and stuff like that. So this is just... The idea of what the Square Circle podcast is, is to talk about certain issues, give counterpoints and more information if I have to share my knowledge with each and every one of you guys. Because sometimes wrestling fans think they know when they get information from the dirt sheets and the dirt sheets don't know because they're not in the business. I'm in the business. And I always look at everything from a different perspective and give insight whenever I can give insight. That's important. When I can give insight, when I can do something, not because I want to do it or like I'll just do it and then be wrong and all this kind of shit. I'm supposed to be wrapping this up. Anyway, I'm Marie Shadows, your host of the Square Circle Podcast, and you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast where I talk about counterpoints of opinions and thoughts about New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, make sure to share this episode and tell a friend to listen in. It is available on all podcast platforms, and I'll see you guys on the next one.